Desire is not the affirmation of people. You were created to worship God and respond to His love. And I think for a lot of us, we get burnt out on life because we're doing things for people and we're not getting the responses that we want. But when you do it as unto the Lord, the Lord is already taking care of you in Christ. He has already invited you to be part of His family. He's already filled you with the Holy Spirit. What more do we need in life? You put a lot of effort toward that task at work, but your coworker got the credit for it. Kind of rubs you the wrong way, knowing that you worked every bit as hard as the next person. But in today's teaching, Pastor Daniel reminds you that you weren't created for this, for that affirmation from people. No, you were created for so much more. God knows about the effort you're putting in, so do it for Him. He's pleased by what you're doing. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 10 as he continues his message called, Remember. Let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10. As we continue our study here through the book of Deuteronomy, we only have about two more teachings in this first series. I ended up breaking up the book of Deuteronomy. It'll be three series by the time we're done. The first series, first 11 chapters, we're calling Refresh. It's almost the introduction to the next series that we're going to do. It's going to be called Blueprints, where we're going to go through the law as it was given from the Lord to Moses on Mount Sinai. The recap of that, we're going to call that series Blueprints. Now, right here in chapter 10, a lot like chapter 9 and a lot like what we've already seen in the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy is that God is inspiring Moses to remind the children of Israel of where they've been. And not only just the victories, the whole story. Because what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to forget the things that God has already shown us. And when we do that, we're not drawing from the wealth of information and teaching that God has already given us. We have a tendency in the crisis moments of our lives to forget all these other things that God has shown us. And so God keeps bringing the children of Israel back as they're preparing to enter the promised land. He's saying, I want you to remember where you've been and I want you to remember what I've already taught you. And I think that's super important because I don't know about you all, but in my own life, Oftentimes, the things that I learned at those pivotal moments, whether they were pivotal because something amazing happened or whether I was being a train wreck at that moment, those lessons God wants us to draw upon in our lives. But if we're not careful, we have a tendency to forget. And when you realize in the scriptures, as you read from Genesis to Revelation, how much God, by the Spirit, inspires the writers to go back and remind, remember this that happened. Remember this thing. Remember this lesson. Remember when this thing happened, how this is what was going on. And I really want to encourage you to, in your own heart, set up those stones of remembrance. Do you remember that in the Bible, that something would happen and they would set up a stack of stones to remind them 
Every time they saw it, they, what are those rocks there for? Oh, because this happened there. And I think that for each one of us, we need to make sure that we're remembering the things that God has shown us and that you can draw on those in the moments of crisis in your own life. And so in chapter 10, as we pick up in verse one, look at what it says here. Deuteronomy 10, verse one. And at that time, the Lord said to me, hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, hewed two tablets of stone like the first and went up to the mountain having the two tablets in my hands. And he wrote on the tablets according to the first writing, the 10 commandments, which the Lord from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly and the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark, which I had made. And there they are just as the Lord commanded me. Now in verse six, it says, now the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of Bene-Jakan to Maserah, where Aaron died and where he was buried. And Eliezer, his son, ministered as priest in his stead. From there, they journeyed to uh, Gudgada and from Gudgada to Jathbaha, a land of rivers of water. At the time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to stand before him, to minister to him and to bless his name in that day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. As at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in to possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. So what we have here is, if you recall from Deuteronomy chapter 9 and what we've already seen in the book of Exodus is that Moses brought down these two tablets of stone, what we call commonly today the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. Now, I always say this because people say, oh, there's Ten Commandments in the Bible. And that's not true. If you were to read rabbinical writings, there's 613 distinct commandments in the Torah, the Law of Moses. Now, the Ten Commandments are unique because they were the only ones written with God's own finger. Okay, so they have a uniqueness to them. So, but you remember when God first gave Moses these two tablets that Moses ended up coming down the mountain because the children of Israel had fallen back into idolatry. Remember, they didn't know what happened to Moses. And they said to Aaron, listen, we don't know what happened to this brother of yours and maybe he got consumed by the fire. So, you know, make us a God to worship. And Aaron said, okay, bring me all your gold. And he fashioned a golden calf and they were worshiping and partying around this calf. And Moses came down and he literally broke those two tablets of stone. Now, think about that for a second. I mean, the God of all creation writing on two tablets of stone with his own fingers. I mean, think about just the reality of that and Moses trashing those things. I mean, it's like, we don't often think about it that way, right? Like, it's like, this is the most valuable thing that has ever existed. God's own handwriting on tablets of stone, and Moses just throws them down and breaks them up. But notice, God says to Moses in verse one, hew for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and come up to me on the mountain and make yourself an ark of wood, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. 
Don't miss this. This is so beautiful. God is a redeemer. I mean, at the moment of the children of Israel's greatest mistake, I mean, God had just delivered them from Egypt in the most extraordinary of circumstances, and they immediately betray the relationship that they committed to, and God doesn't say, okay, that's it, I'm done with you. God says, listen, Moses, come back up, get yourself some stones, I'm going to give you a new set. And I love that about the Lord, because for so many of us, what happens is we make mistakes, you make mistakes, I make mistakes, being Mistake-laden is part of the human condition. But we have a tendency to not forgive ourselves or to hold ourselves back because of the mistakes we've made when God's like, no, 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 I'm going to do a fresh work in you. Yeah, you made a mistake. And yeah, there's a cost to that mistake. And I paid that cost on the cross with Jesus. And so when you come back, we're going to do a new work here. And see, God's not like our friends who when we do something wrong, they, they say, peace out, we're done with you. That's not who the Lord is. But... I think for many of us right now, you actually don't believe that God can redeem the moments of your greatest mistakes. Like you actually, in your heart, you're like, there's just really no way. There's no way to come back from this. And I'm here to tell you that is walking by sight and not by faith. Because God, it didn't shock God what the children of Israel did. He knew that that was what was in their heart. I mean, you read the history of the children of Israel and the history of the children of God, the people of God, the church, idolatry is bound up in these hearts. That's why the very first commandment is, I'm no other gods before me. And every single page of the Bible and every single page of your history and my history and human history reveals the idolatry in the human heart. Martin Luther, in his commentary on the Ten Commandments, said, and I don't agree with everything Martin Luther said, but I really like this one. I think he's right on. He said that the heart of humanity is a virtual idol factory. Right as one idol is torn down, we erect a new one. I mean, you think in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, their idolatry was their own practice of their own religion. You might say, that's nuts, but some of us come out of churches like that. Right Where their idolatry, their heart is their own practice of their own religion. And let's not pretend like it happens only outside. I mean, if we examine our own hearts, we have all sorts of idols in our hearts. The idol of status, the idol of relationship, the idol of money, the idol of ministry. The, I mean, we could do this all day. But the beauty of who the Lord is is that he is infinitely patient, and he's not looking to write us off. He's looking to write us into his story. And that's an awesome reality. See, he didn't say, well, you guys messed up the first time, so you know, forget you now. He said, Moses, come back on up. And I want you to hew out two stones, and I also want you to make an ark of wood. So now we're getting reminded again of the Ark of the Covenant, which we read about in Exodus chapter 25 and its erection that happens later in Exodus chapter 37 and following, that God's plan was to make this Ark of the Covenant, this box, and there's all these details. If you're with us when we studied in the tabernacle series, I explained all the different pieces and how it's all functioning. But the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be the place where God met with man and man met with God. And in the Ark of the Covenant, a number of things ended up there, the first thing being the law. Now, you have to realize, because we're not living before the finished work of Jesus, before the Gospels, Jesus is the new and better Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. Because all the things that ended up inside the Ark of the Covenant, the two tablets of the law, who's the only person who ever kept the law? Jesus. What else ended up? Anybody remember what else was in that? A copy of the, the jar of manna, right? 
that special bread that was given by God to the children of Israel to sustain them in the wilderness. It wasn't by chance Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. You know, your fathers ate that heavenly bread and they're dead, but I'm here and anybody who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, they're going to live forever. That's in there. Do you remember Aaron's budded rod was in there? Do you remember that story? When there was a full-on rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And they all took their staffs and they put it into the, the tent of meaning. And the Lord said, whichever one of these rods blossoms, that's the one I've chosen. And everyone put their rods in there and whose was the only one that blossomed? Aaron, why? Because Aaron was God's chosen high priest and Jesus is our high priest according to the lineage of Melchizedek, for those of you who read your Bibles and know Exodus, or the book of Genesis and the book of Hebrews. All of it, perf- it's perfect. And then don't miss the fact that that's what's inside the box. And then you have this, this cover on it, what they call the mercy seat, which we get our word propitiation from, right? And once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest would go in first making a blood sacrifice for his own sins, and then he would go in and he would lay the blood sacrifice the blood to atone for the sins of the nation. And there was two angels, the cherubim, whose wings went over. It's amazing. It's in John's gospel that when they peered into the tomb, they saw two angels. Think about the picture of that because where Jesus was laid in that tomb, after they hastily buried him, his garments would have been blood-soaked. Do you ever think about the two angels sitting on two sides and the blood soaking through his garments and there's blood on that and it's like, oh, Jesus is the mercy seat. It's Jesus's blood that makes atonement for sin. If you want to listen, I just gave you like a thumbnail of this thing, like off the top of my head. Like you got to go back and listen to that series. I mean, that stuff, it's powerful. Some people all the time say, I don't understand why at Crossroads you guys are teaching the book of Deuteronomy. I'm like, how could you not teach God's word? It's God's word. It's God's truth, and all, like you don't have the finished work of Jesus in the New Testament if you divorce it from God's plan for humanity in the Old Testament. And it all fits together. It all fits together. And the beauty of the New Testament, it shows us how it fits together. It shows us the variables by which it fits together. And that's why we study this stuff. So it's beautiful because it says in verse 3, and I love what it says, so I made an ark of acacia wood. Hew two tablets of stone like the first and went up on the mountain having the two tablets in my hand. Moses was simply obedient. And brothers and sisters, just be simply obedient. Like the Christian life is about simply responding to Jesus. And we're supposed to simply respond to Jesus in obedience. So when Jesus says, don't do that, then we should just simply not do that stuff. When he says, I want you to do this, we should just simply do that stuff. And it's so easy, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, to start to make excuses and reasons why we're not going to be simply obedient. See, God is glorified when we respond to him in faith and do what's asked of us. Now, don't get me wrong. Being obedient to the Lord is a step of faith because really you want to be obedient to yourself and I want to be obedient to myself. Like we got a plan and we're hoping God will get on board with our plan. But what God really wants is God's got a plan. He wants us to get on board with his plan. Because you can't have two cooks in the kitchen, but you know when they have two cooks in the kitchen, the recipe always gets jacked up. It never tastes good. Because who wants it this way? And it ends up being a mess. Let God be the chef. Let him do what he wants to do. And you can say a lot of things about Moses. Moses hasn't gotten it all right, but when he says, I did exactly what I was asked to do. 
and let that be the testimony of our lives. We don't get saved by our obedience, but God's blessing and the experience of God's kingdom happens when we simply respond to Jesus in the affirmative, when we say, yes, Lord. And as I've always said, and you've heard it before, no, Lord is not, that's an oxymoron. If you say no to the Lord, then you're the Lord and you're not the Lord. So the only proper response to Jesus is yes, Lord. You are the anointed one. You are God's Messiah and you are mine and I am your servant and I do your bidding. It's important to remember that the tribe of Levi, their inheritance, they didn't get a land inheritance because their inheritance was the Lord. Now what's amazing is, is you can imagine for the tribe of Levi that in some ways it was an honor and in some ways it was kind of a curse. Because everyone else got their land, everyone else got their house, but the Levites, they got the Lord. You know, and I think for the people of God, oftentimes, we forget that the Lord as our inheritance is the most amazing. It's the greatest blessing. You know, and we live in a, as I always say, we live in a material world, and we have a tendency to be material girls in that way. You know, and so we have this idea that God just isn't enough. That it's like, I'll really be happy if I get a little more. And then we get a little more and we're still not happy. And the Lord is there present in our lives. And we're like, yeah, I mean, Jesus is cool, but like, come on. And the Levites are in the scriptures. The the Levites are in the scriptures to remind us that there's a purpose for the people of God that is greater than just occupying a plot of land. Like, look at what this says. Maybe let the Lord speak these verses over your own heart and life right where you are. Look what this says. To stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless his name to this day. This is important. We're all called to ministry. Who gets the ministry? Who do they minister to? To the Lord. It doesn't say to minister to the people. Their ministry is to the Lord. Now listen, people burn out in ministry when they start doing it for people instead of doing it for the Lord. See, our lives are meant to minister to the Lord. It's really, as we've said here at Cross before, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're not here to serve the Lord. We are here to let the Lord serve us, and then we respond to God's service by returning back to the Lord what he has entrusted to us. But what happens is we have a tendency to want to minister to a person. Like you wives, don't serve your husband. He ain't worthy of it anyway. So it's true. You minister to the Lord and your husband gets the benefit. Because know what happens when you minister to your husband? You do it for like 15 minutes. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, he didn't say thank you. And he doesn't deserve all this niceness. And then you become, you know, grumpy wife, which in the book of Proverbs says it's like a continual dripping. You know, I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it says. You know what I mean? And so what happens is if you're serving him and then you're not getting the response that you want, then you not only you shut that stuff down, but then you like, you make it worse for him. You'd be like, you know, oh, you know, so did you make me lunch? I didn't make you lunch. You told me you didn't like your lunch yesterday. So forget your lunch. You go buy your own lunch. But make sure you don't go over budget, you know, (laughs) you know. And I spent all the food money on the kids. So what's the difference, you know? But it's like, Don't serve your husband. Serve the Lord, and your husband will get the benefit. Now, you husbands don't think I'm letting you guys off either. Because it's important that as husbands, we serve the Lord. And you know what happens when you serve the Lord as a husband? He says, I want you to love your wife as Jesus loved the church and died for her. So go die, dude. That's how the Lord, he's like, Daniel, you need to die to yourself. 
I don't die to myself for Lynn. I die to myself for the Lord and Lynn gets the benefit. See, don't serve your boss. Serve the Lord and let your boss get the benefit. Don't serve your neighbors. Serve the Lord and your neighbors will get the benefit because we do it as unto God and the overflow of that relationship begins to spill out to everybody. See, what happens is when we take our eyes off the Lord and we put our eyes on people, then it becomes really discouraging because you don't get the responses that you want. You bend over backwards to try and bless somebody and then they end up saying mean things about you. You're like, man, if this is the way it rolls, who needs this stuff? So when we do it for people, we will always burn out because what you really truly desire is not the affirmation of people. You were created to worship God and respond to his love. And I think for a lot of us, we get burnt out on life because we're doing things for people and we're not getting the responses that we want. But when you do it as unto the Lord, the Lord is already taking care of you in Christ. He has already invited you to be part of his family. He's already filled you with the Holy Spirit. What more do we need in life? than the kingdom and the power of God at work in our own experiences. He's already done that for us. And the Levites, I love this. They're gonna care for this Ark of the Covenant. They minister to the Lord and they bless his name. Would to God that our lives would be a blessing to his name. In the Bible, name always denotes nature. So I always say, you pick anybody's name that you want. Like if you use my name, right? When you say Daniel Fusco, you don't think, oh yeah, D-A-N-I-E-L-F-U-S-C-O and bingo was his name. Oh, you know what I mean? Like you don't do the letters. You think about the person. You think about the nature of the person. And so when it says, bless his name, it's not like, well, we bless the Lord by we say Yahweh or we say Jehovah or we say Jehovah Tzidkadu or whatever we, you know, we do. It's like, you know what I mean? We bless his name. Our lives are to the praise of the nature of God. And that should be who we are. All of us in this way, as a kingdom of priests, have a Levitical function, a function that is like the tribe of the Levites. And so it's interesting. We're reminded the Lord is their portion of their inheritance. And then it says in verse 10, it says, and as at the first time I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord also heard me at that time, and the Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, arise, begin your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers. Now, I think that this is important because the 40 days and 40 nights timeline is important. Because if you know your New Testament at all, isn't there another 40 days timeline? Who was 40 days in the wilderness? Jesus. Now, don't miss the overarching picture. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. In Moses' first time, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, but yet they succumbed to the idolatry that was in their hearts. And in a sense, Israel showed their inability to be the people of God. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights by the enemy, and he didn't give in to the temptation. Jesus is Some good things were mentioned in today's teaching from Pastor Daniel. He talked about God giving the children of Israel a second chance, a second set of stone tablets. Whenever anyone's given a second chance, there should be plenty of gratitude. Pastor Daniel also discussed serving and doing things for the Lord rather than for people. 
this is something that comes up regularly and is a heart check for your motives. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share his thoughts about this passage in the Bible. Most anyone can relate to someone being stubborn or stiff-necked. Well, what you'll hear next time is the idea that God wants to help straighten out that stiff neck, almost like a chiropractor who goes in and helps correct what's out of alignment. God can do this in your heart, softening that stubbornness and resistance in you. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Refresh. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.